I encourage people uh, to think of being productive, not only as when you're sitting down and doing your work, but that resting creates creativity. I like to say boredom is the birthplace of creativity. <laughs> Welcome to Social Convos. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We're going to have a very fun episode today. And Diego, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm not sure if it's me, but maybe you're a bit distant from your mic. I'm hearing you very low. But Low or is it just the way that I'm talking? Maybe it's the way that you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so where's that energy? Usually you're full of energy. <laughs> yeah. Something sorry about changed. that. Sorry about that. No, I'm actually, for the past, we were just talking the introvert, extrovert conversation. And for the last week, my extroverted side is pushing. And that's all due to the fact that I think that slowly the attention is moving away from COVID. And COVID kind of made me like this introverted behind the scenes, kind of not wanting to be out there kind of person. And we're slowly getting back to more the extroverted kind of scenes. I'm also flying this Saturday to California. So maybe there's a lot of like a lot of outside up. forces kind of a lot of outside forces, people that I'm talking to, new clients coming in. It's really, really busy. And yeah, the only problem is I have to accept that I'm not 25 anymore and that physically things are taking its toll. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, at least, uh, that, that's good from one side that things are picking up again, but from our side, I think we're going back to our roots that we started with uh, social convos last year, talking about entrepreneurship, talking about marketing. We had a fun episode with Sheetal around, you know, introversion, extroversion, productivity. And this is going to be another fun one because we have someone in the Netherlands who also excels at navigating online life as an introverted entrepreneur. And she also coaches individuals to, you know, achieve the best possible outcome. And without further ado, I'd like to Welcome, Mariela Franker to Social Convos. Mariela, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. thank you for having me. I'm going to jump because I'm the extroverted, so like jumping uh, back in. You've kind of like behind the scenes had like about 10 minutes with the both, so both of us. What are things that you immediately noticed in difference between Diego and what? <laughs> well, I never like to make assumptions. So I don't usually look out for oh, what kind of qualities do I see in someone or is this person, for, for example, more introverted, more extroverted. Diego mentioned to me that you two are a bit opposites in that respect. And then I was able to kind of pick a pick up that Diego is probably more towards the introverted side and Jean-Luc, you're probably more towards the extroverted side. But yeah, there's a lot of layers in that and a lot of misconceptions about that as well. So. I don't know if you guys want to get into that or we'll just see. Diego, do you want to go into that? Do you want to do this confrontation right now, right now? <laughs> I'm following your lead, so. Uh, no, I think, I think, I think one of the things is also that Diego is very structured and I really have to, I had to learn structure and whenever I see an opportunity that I don't have to be structured. Yeah. 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 And I'm going to give a quick, quick shout out to, to Sherry, who's jumping in to, to watch a little bit as well today. So thank you for joining it. So Mariela, I mean, we can start so many different ways for you. How at the current, the current state of life you're currently in, I wouldn't say transition in, but how did your journey go to finding out what was going to work for you? Because like we, we discussed this often, like when having a Surinamese background, there are certain kinds of studies that we all are presumed to do. You just said no judging, but like we all know you go study economics, you go study health and med or medicine, and you guys, you're going to study law, those kind of economics, law, medicine, those kind are kind of like for us, things that we were indirectly pushed towards, 
And then you decide to say like, hey, but this is the kind of career that I want to have. So can, tell you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey towards where you are right now? Mm. That's a really interesting way to, to start. Yes, I love it. Yeah, so as you, you mentioned, I'm Suriname, so I grew up there. I lived there, was born and raised there, and I moved to the Netherlands when I was 18. So that journey to now, I think in a way it was a lot of letting go of those types of expectations. Because there's expectations all around us, like Tunamese uh, society and community, they have, you have a certain expectation there around certain jobs that you mentioned. Also in, in the Dutch society, there's expectations around what kind of life is successful, what kind of family life is a good family life, and also the types of jobs that you have. And there are also expectations around being an introvert or being an extrovert, expectations that we have uh, of ourselves. So I think in my journey, and this didn't happen overnight, you know, and sometimes we, we think these types of shifts, they are really instantaneous. And it can happen that you have a big event, like a traumatic experience that really shifts some things for you. But growing through that experience usually takes more time. And it was really for me years that culminated small changes, small choices, where I, where I slowly started to let go of the expectations. I went into science, but I come, my mother is a, is a medical doctor. So the, that was actually quite close, <laughs> you see. Um, so the, the traditional route. I started out in a fairly traditional route. Yes. And you know, everybody happy. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a scientist. And my path was very clear when I, when I did that and I knew. I was going to do a PhD after a PhD, I would do a postdoc, maybe another one if I felt like it. And then you either, wow. <laughs> well, that's the normal route. That, that's yeah. Well, kind of, uh, excelling, you usually people, you know, the average person goes either, you know, you have the bachelor of science and then the master, but taking that PhD step for some, it is a big step. So, and to do even a, a post-doc research <laughs> afterwards uh, says uh, something about the discipline and commitment that go, goes paired with that. Yeah. I mean, as scientists, if, if nothing else, are really, really dedicated people <laughs> because you do a bachelor's and master's and then your PhD, and that's just to start. You're still a rookie at that stage, which is why you, you then usually do want, go on to do one or two postdocs and then you're, you're a proper scientist and then the the ideal is to start your own research group for which you have to write for funding and actually get funding. Uh, and then you find a position at a university. So that was my kind of my view of my path, but I knew very early on that it wasn't, it didn't really click in my PhD. I already noticed, and it really, uh, of course, dawned when I became overworked dur during the last part of my PhD and I almost burned out. So that was the, the more of the really shifting of one of the really shifting events for me. Aside from the getting burnt out, were there signs that you identified early on that you said, okay, this doesn't click aside from the feeling, any, you know, tangible signs that it, what was it? The, the, the type of work, the type of research, cause I, I see you blog a lot, but was the writing always there? Because as a researcher, you write a lot as well. What, what aspects did you notice that kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, th this isn't going to be something I'm, I'm willing to do long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because at the time I wasn't, I, I didn't really think of it in that way. I, I have to say that it probably had to do with my mindset at the time. I felt what I now call. I was, I was in more of like a victim mindset, things that were happening to me. You know what I mean? When you feel that you have no control over your life or the direction it's going in. I did choose my studies and I chose to be a scientist and I loved it. During my bachelor's, my master's absolutely loved it. I still love science, the purity of it, the enthusiasm of the people and the, the techniques. I mean, it's, I worked in microscopy and we looked at, at proteins that you, you literally can't see with the naked eye and people just figure out that how, like how it works and just designing an experiment like that. I just watched a video the other day, the protein I worked on was a motor protein and it, it turns out it looks like this and it walks along 
like a tube and it's, it's such a visual thing. And the way that people figured out how that works, it just fascinates me still to this day. So the essence, that love is still there. The things that I noticed that didn't click for me were for one, you mentioned the writing. Yes. You do write a lot as a scientist, but the style is very different to how I naturally write. You know, I'm very interested, turned out in the human side of things, you know, what, how, how does this help the person in the end? Whereas science is still, fundamental science is what I did, is still quite very much removed from daily impact. It's, it's really, really the fundamental stuff. And even if you talk about developing a, a medicine, that is already like a lot of steps removed from the type of work that I did. So I missed that connection. And then also in the style of writing, it's, it's a bit dry. It's very factual because of course. Academic writing is, is, is extremely, I wouldn't say boring, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's heavy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm currently renovating and I'm looking at books that I was into when I was, was into science. And some of these books, like probably you, you've read Lacan. I don't know if you read Chuck's Lacan. No, I haven't. But Lacan's books are like, it, it takes quite some time to finish just one page. And it's, it's because every sentence has so many layers to it. And that's not even, we're not even talking about the tone of voice and writing style at that point yet. But, but please, please continue a little bit on, on for you also what the difference is between like the style you're writing now. And maybe if you have some fun examples of how sentences are different for those people that are not familiar with how big the difference is between <laughs> scientific writing and, and, and just oh, wow. regular writing. Oh, wow. And an example that, that goes to mind. Well, I don't have it here with me. That's a shame, but I could have showed you my, my, my PhD thesis, which is basically a book that you write with different scientific articles in there. And well, there are sentences like, oh, well, let's say that one of the titles, if I can remember correctly, one of the titles of, of the, uh, one of the papers is kif 17 and it has dendritic cargo It's activated by this and this protein. That is the structure of just the title of the article. Where very descriptive. Very descriptive. Yeah. But. Science is the pursuit of truth in, in essence, you know, we want to know how the world works and it's a different type of truth than what we talk, but when, when you and I talk about truth, you know, it's, it's a different concept altogether. So that works in that world. For me, I was more interested in what does it bring to people? So if I would explain, I, I, I actually for a while was really interested in writing, they call them lay summaries. So I would write things for patients to help them understand. And that's already a very different style of writing within the scientific style of writing. So the exact same sentence around that kid 17, you would write it completely different for some, for that audience. So going forward, the uh, writing was one thing that kind of, uh, yeah, the disconnected you from that traditional route, but was there anything else that, um, sticks out that you thought before you took the step for, you know, traditional scientists deep into research. Uh, I loved how you described the, the, the protein walk. It still shows the enthusiasm and love that you have for, for it, but it's a very stark difference from back then to what you're doing now, like being in front of a camera, coaching other people and that from being uh, an introvert, as you said uh, yourself, you even brand yourself as an introverted entrepreneur. So could you talk to us about that switch when that happened, uh, a particular event occurred that triggered that and how you made that switch? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for, for me, the first thing that shifted me was that the near burnout, just because it changed the way that I saw myself, for example, it really created a lot of mindset shifts for me. It also showed me that I crossed a barrier that I didn't know existed and that basically I was alone in a way. It sounds really harsh to hear it, to, to say it like this and uh, now, but it was a, it was a blessing in disguise. So I, I don't wish it upon anyone, but it, I, t I learned so much from that experience because before that I was kind of in that victim mentality. And when that happened to me, I realized that 
no one was going to help me through it. No one could help me through it. I was responsible for that. But what that did, it did help me to move past that victim mentality that I had before and to start making really conscious choices about how I lived my life. Could, could you describe this barrier you're talking about that you, you, you didn't know existed? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to place it in, in the context of the burnout. What I mean when I say barrier is kind of, or maybe boundary is a better word for it. I didn't think I had a energy limit before that, for example, even though I'm, I'm introverted and I know that I need time to recharge. That's one of the, 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 the most, the biggest difference between an introvert and extrovert that introverts usually need a lot of time alone to recharge, whereas extroverts usually can also get that from interacting with other people, but interaction can drain introverts. So I knew that, but I was the type of person that could really push myself. I still do, but in a very different way. Back then it was a just go hard or go home type of mentality. And as a scientist, that's also kind of the atmosphere. It is competitive in, in a way, and you, you need to, sh you need to show up. You need to be there. We were in the lab from 9 AM to 9 PM on some days, and then we'd have drinks in between and go back. <laughs> that was on the taste we would do that. So it was like, now it kind of, <laughs> it's funny to think back, but that was, these things are, there's completely normal, like at a certain age. As well, I think it's, it's also a short, certain part of your life where that's even considered normal because also not just mentally, but also physically you're able to put up with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I, I completely understand it, but what I also want to ask you to also answer, how did you avoid a near, because you said it was a near burnout. How did you actually avoid it being a full on fledged burnout? So I got, I was lucky in the sense that I was already in therapy at that time for other, uh, another reason to kind of uh, go through th things that I uh, had in my youth. So I was already seeing a therapist and I was doing some home studies around dealing with like emotions because I, as a young child, I never really learned how to deal with very strong emotions. And I am a very sensitive person and I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a bit, I'm a bit of an empath. People uh, also use that term and I pick up energies from other people and I didn't know how to deal with that. So that was quite overwhelming to me for a long time, which is one of the reasons why I went into therapy. And that's why I think personally that saved me because I was already talking about the things that I was experiencing. It, and she recognized it very early on. I'm not sure that if I had been by myself, that I could have or would have avoided completely burning out. So because it was recognized really early for me, I was able to, to stop before it went too far. And I got, I got back quite quickly. I think in about six months time, I was back working and I finished my PhD. Does that answer your question or am I rambling off a little bit? No, I'm, I'm trying to process it because like I, I, I wouldn't, I think one was a tilt, the other was slightly burnout. I, I'm not sure if I could consider what I had a real burnout because I recuperated quite quickly, but I experienced it twice in my life and I don't know if it happened for you. What time of the year did it happen for you? Because that's also something I want to know a little mm. bit more, how the weather kind of impacts that, especially for Surinamese people living in the Netherlands. Like for me, the months between October and March were like difficult, mm. like really, really difficult mm. months. So I'm, I'm just curious, was it a particular time of the year or particular season, yeah. weather season? Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's a little bit different in that uh, respect. I do know that I, I always found it difficult during the winter time. You know, if you're used to a lot of sunlight, you just, you. Plain and simple, you also get a vitamin D deficiency. So that, that also <laughs> doesn't help. But yeah, dealing with the dark uh, winter time, it's difficult if you are for coming from the tropics, for example. For me, the, the, the near burnout actually happened around summertime. That's when it started, but it was also a process of up to six months that because I wasn't listening to my body, I remember that I was, I think I was nauseous the, in, for an entire six months constantly. And I just disregarded it. 
But then I started having concentration problems and like the protocols in the lab, things that I did a hundred times before. I just couldn't even understand what was on the page. And that's when I felt I was going crazy. And I was like, okay, this is not okay. But it, so it, it mentally, it went quite far for me. Uh, it feels, but physically I was still in good shape because I was young. <laughs> and then when it was recognized by my therapist, we were able to bring that back quickly. But may I ask for you, did it start for you in the winter time? Is that why you were asking that question? Yeah, I, 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 for me, I think both cases, it was physical. Mm -hmm. Like I just completely, completely, completely drained my body. It was also because of stubbornness, but it was like, it was like, um, I think it was, I, I went into a opiate group, which was kind of like this group for students who are not focusing enough on their studies. And they have programs for that in the Netherlands, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> and the guy, and the funny thing is I never finished it. And, and this is why it's interesting because to get into the group, you had to have a psychological evaluation and the guy was really hard on me. And he said, a lot of times people like you, with your personality, which I took offense to as kind of racism, which it wasn't the case at all, but he says, people like you always come up with excuses. Like you convince yourself that you need this program, but you actually don't. Wow. And, and he actually was spot on in the end because in the beginning I was committed. I would go every day to the library. I would join the group and then I realized there were no repercussions because basically those kind of things, and that's different from, from where I grew up and, and studying abroad in a, in a country, there are no repercussions. Like the only repercussion there is, is long-term. You don't finish your studies, but there's like nobody holding your hand. There's nobody telling you like, if you make this decision now, you will probably fail your exams and you will have a problem next year because you won't be able to get your degree. Mm -hmm. And the only one you can keep accountable is yourself. And as soon as I realized that there was nobody holding me accountable, because with all due respect, my peers who were also in the group, they weren't able to, they weren't going to be able to control me because I was already at that point, very introverted and much more stubborn than I am now. So at a certain point, it just, I just started realizing that. I could go full speed again and full speed meant, yes, still focusing on study, but then doing everything else. And then we got into, I think I was part of the committee that was organizing an international volleyball tournament. And somebody from the security team bailed on us. So I took over the security detail for the Saturday night and I kept up all day. And which we call Brokodea in Surinamese. And I did that during the tournament where I was already part of the organization and already about working 18 hours a day. And I skipped sleep. And then the Monday after the tournament, I didn't wake up yeah. and I didn't go to the library. And I never went back to the library. And for the next six months, basically, I didn't do anything anymore for my studies. It was just completely a lost year. So that happened in December. And from December until June, I kind of, it was kind of a lost year. And I wonder if it would have been different if that year I would have gone home, back home in December. But I remember, if I remember correctly, that's one of the few years that I didn't go back in December mm -hmm. to Suriname. So that's also an interesting perspective that if I did go back, would I get recharged and try again in January? But that year I kind of, it was kind of a lost year. That's an interesting uh, point that you brought up. I, I see that a lot also with the people that I work with and uh, it doesn't have to be like a, a near a burnout or a near burnout because that's already quite far away. There are also people that I work with that uh, have experienced that. But even in our day to day, we sometimes forget that we need to rest. They sometimes forget we need to recharge. And that's not just for our bodies. It's also for our mind. 
and especially introverts, we, we, we need more of that even compared to extroverts, but even for you, like you, you know, mentioned you're more on the extroverted side, but pushing your body so far, it, at some point it's going to give. I, I have a curious question on the day to day. You mentioned the kind of building that lifestyle and to the small changes. So you talk about small changes, having a big effect on your life. It's kind of a uh, pretty much falls in line. Uh, Sean Luke and I often have it open atomic habits by James clear. Not sure if you're familiar with that book, but, uh, love that book. And he also mentions uh, something along the same lines, like, you know, very minuscule changes that kind of have a big impact if the system is right. And I'm curious for you, how have you designed, like aside before we go into the professional entrepreneurial side, as, as a, on a personal side, how have you designed that part of your life after, you know, that realization of, of that near burnout to kind of facilitate that rest and enough uh, time for recharging? Have you designed uh, your day to day in a particular way? that kind of helped you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I can give you an example of a typical day for me now, and then we can, we can backtrack and <laughs> see the difference. So right now, this is what an average day looks like for me. I get up around 6 AM, but we have a two-year-old. So that also plays into that, right? That now he's up at, so at, uh, at six, we get him out of bed. We help him get settled with breakfast. I take a shower. We'll say, yes, I make it. And then we have breakfast all together. And I start my work day around nine and I work until maybe 1 PM, sometimes noon, 1 PM and the rest. And then I kind of take over the shifts for my partner and then he, his work day starts. So we section our day like that. And when I work in the morning, I usually, I'm either writing or I, I think about programs. I develop master classes or sometimes I work with clients and I have coaching calls. The afternoon is just spent with my son and we just play and relax and go to the park and all that stuff. So it's also relaxation for me. And I actually rest more hours a day now than I work. And then evening it's getting my son to bed. And then my partner and I, we have, we sit down for an hour or so and we talk or watch a movie and then it's bedtime for me as well. Now that isn't basically the, the exact opposite of what my life used to look like, which was three hours of commuting time on top of a eight to 10 hour work. And three then hours, I've heard extreme, but three hours is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, in to, did I, I didn't say, did I say each way? I meant in total. So it was like an hour and a half each oh, way. Okay. An hour and a half. Yeah, it's still, still good. Yeah, it's still but Yeah, if you consider that you you travel three hours a day. It's like, to me, that that's my entire work day. Quickly, quickly question, Go question. Please. During those three hours, so one and a half hours going one way, one and a half hours going back. Did you do it by car or by train? train. Did you work in the train? I, in the beginning, yes. And after a while, no, <laughs> you can't keep that up. So, but if I had something to do, if I had articles to write, I would read them even knowing that I was tired. During my PhD, I always worked in a train. When I started after the near burnout, I consciously made that choice. That's one of the smaller changes that I made, that when I'm commuting, I do not work. And I would either close my eyes, meditate, or just look out the window. Just that moment was a little moment that was just for me. Now I have to ask this question because I have this problem. Probably I'm not the only one and you might have the answer for us. If you narrow your working hours, like you're used to working nine to 12 or nine to four, and you're going to nine to 12, there is an added pressure that you have to be productive those three hours, because if you're not, then it's just a day gone. Mentally, how do you approach that? I love that question. So yes, in the beginning for me, it was, no, let me, let me say it a different way. Cause that's not, not really true. I was going to say it was difficult for me in the beginning, but actually that's not true. The, the part of it is what we talked about earlier. It's letting go of those expectations. Sometimes we carry certain beliefs and patterns with us that we just believe are true. It, it's 
type of limiting beliefs that they call them. You probably have heard that term before. And one of those things is I need to be productive all the time. I need to work seven plus hours to be able to do all the things that I want to do. I need to work 50 hours a week to be successful. Those are all in some shape or form, a lot of time they're limiting beliefs because they're simply not true. If you look for examples out there, there are so many examples of people who do not work 50 plus hours uh, a week and are very successful. And I actually teach people, I encourage people uh, to think of being productive, not only as when you're sitting down and doing your work, but that resting creates creativity. I like to say boredom is the birthplace of creativity, basically. So look, <laughs> that's what I've been mentioning to you. So it's, it's, it's for me, this is, this is so difficult. It's, it's really difficult. I've and said the same thing twice to Sean. Yeah, no, but, but for me, it's difficult. First of all, first of all, I like too many things. So the only times in my life when I've been able to say, scratch that, scratch that, scratch that is basically when my daughter was born and when my son was born. Those are the only two moments that I really decided like, if whatever is approaching me, whatever person is approaching me, whatever task is approaching me, whatever client is approaching me, if that task or person or client that's approaching me adds zero value to my beliefs of what I'm capable of helping people with in the world, I'm just going to delete it. I think that worked well for like two years and then new interests started popping up. New interests started popping up. And as soon as I get into a comfort zone where I get into the life where I actually do have a couple of hours a day to spare, then I get uncomfortable. It is very recognizable, Jean-Luc. <laughs> I, I, when I first started peeling back and working less hours, that was right after I, I finished my PhD. That phase for me, it was difficult. You have like a certain type of withdrawal because if you're used to always working at that high level, there's a lot of adrenaline that comes with that. And I couldn't sit still when I would take a day off. I would still find something to do. <laughs> I would fill the hours because it felt unnatural to sit still. And it, it really took some time to get that out of my system. If you, if you, if I can, you know, if you can imagine it kind of that way, almost like I was addicted to that, that heightened level. But I'm not saying that's the case for you. Okay. Cause oh, oh, we probably work in very different ways and finding kind of your sweet spot between rest and work. That is also something that I teach because it takes a little bit of exploration to find your sweet spots and your recipes, because it's only a, an issue when you notice that it doesn't work. And one of the things that we talked about before was letting go of those expectations, you know, those limiting beliefs, but then there's also in that process, it's about discovering what's really important to you personally, because a lot of the time we say yes to a lot of things without asking ourselves why. You already mentioned that the, the few times that you were really able to say, no, not, not now is when your kids were born. That's very clearly something that is very, very important to you. And you made space for that. That went very, very deep. But I feel that on, in other areas of our lives, we don't really think about what is the role that this thing plays in my life? What is the core value that I, the core values that I live by and how do those factor in my yeses and my noes? And we also feel that when we say no, we close opportunity. That I think of it as saying no to one thing is saying yes to other things. And you also notice that when you started saying no to certain, um, opportunities, other things came flowing in. If you had said yes to those, to those first things, you would not have the space for those other things. So in a way you, you are choosing 
where your time and your energy goes with your yeses and your noes. I'm noticing so many similarities between what uh, Marielle is, is, is talking about and kind of how I've been approaching things the, the last few years. And I'm not sure if, if it's because we've read the same books or just been through similar experiences maybe, but yeah, Atomic Heavens being one that, that, that little sentence you mentioned of small changes having a big effect. Just now you mentioned, you know, saying no to open, uh, make space for other yeses. I think it's from, uh, Tim Ferriss for our work week, there's an example of that where he mentions that, that if, yeah. if it's not, if it's not a hell yes, don't do it or, or take a week to, to think yeah. about it. So it, it's, it's kind of like these little tools or processes, prompts that I've kind of, uh, built into my decision-making, help me make uh, certain decisions more, I, I'd say objectively, but it, it, it's still very subjective, uh, but to make space for them, uh, so to say. And yeah, d during my time, you know, 2014, 2013, when I was finishing off my degree, bachelor's degree, etc., and then, you know, starting a business with my brother, I, I had that, you know, a lot of pressure working from different angles, kind of getting overworked and, and I, I, I did feel it. And when I took that step back, you know, as you said, practice productive boredom, those are times when I kind of shifted gears like, okay, this is my interest and let's make space for that. Even though it might not be seem productive in the short term, it, it, it does add to the long term in knowledge and, you know, just having the time to think it through. I think that's more, more productive, sounds counterintuitive, but it's more productive than actually doing. Yeah. In my sense. Yeah. I understand what you mean. And I was thinking about, so I just gave a masterclass about the three things you need to take action. And I, I was thinking about that as you were talking, because those three things, in my opinion, are connection, clarity, and opportunity. And you were talking about that connection bit that you, by taking that time to think about what was important to you, you know, take a step back to practice a productive board and you called it, that's when you, you connect with a couple of things. Okay. This, yeah, this, this feels right. And I'm going to pursue it, even though I can't see where it's going to take me yet. And that's also different for everyone. It depends on your, your, your working style. Some people can ha really have a clear vision at the end of that tunnel and they can picture it very clearly in their heads. But not everyone has that. Some people discover it by taking the first step and then another step. But when you have that connection, and I believe that connection is something that goes really deep. It goes to our core values and it's, it's more powerful than motivation. Because motivation, the way that we use it is sometimes also like a, a more, like a higher level force. You can also be motivated by external factors, for example. And like things like prestige and, and, and money, for example, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're personally connected with the thing that you're doing to get to that thing that's motivating you. And when you ask yourself, why, like, why do I want money, for example, and you sometimes end up in a completely different place than you thought why you were doing the thing. Usually we start out with, yes, you know, I, I want a nice life. I want a nice house, but why, why do you want that? And for some people, people, it will come up. People tell me things like, I want freedom. That's what it's about. Okay. Now, how do you get those things into your life? And so asking yourself why that brings that connection. And then clarity is about what do I do to get the thing? Sometimes we get stuck on how. Like, how am I going to do it? And we, we want to have the whole plan, but that's a lot of variables. Okay. Cause we try to predict, we try to hypothesize it. And we, we try to also take into account, okay, other people's reactions and the results we're going to get. And then it's overwhelming and we don't do anything. So that's one of the reasons why we get stuck. Clarity is just about the next step. What's the next step I can take and opportunity is how do I bring it into my life? I have a quick question for Sean Luke after hear, hearing all that. You just seem, yeah, you, your facial expressions told me like it, 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 it hit you differently. Could, could, could you 
Tell us it's, what you... It's so much fun. I'm getting a free consultation session. <laughs> so for me, this is like, this is like the best kind of... Like time, this episode, time is going so much more faster for me than I'm used to because it's it's very intriguing. And I'm, I'm going to surely elaborate why it's so intriguing for me. So I'm trying to figure out where my kind of motivation comes from because I'm wired differently. And especially compared to you, both as introverts, extroverts, we kind of, we get our validation externally. So there's like not a lot of internal validation needed for me personally. I'm very comfortable where I'm at, like in life in general. Most things that I'm doing now have an external validation purpose. That's, that's just it. It's, it's really weird. But if you would ask me like, is there anything specific that you still want to accomplish in life? Me at age 37 will be like, no. Like I'm at peace where I'm at. Everything that I wanted to accomplish in life, I've kind of accomplished, which is really weird to hear. So then the question comes, okay, but like, how are you going to motivate yourself then? Is, is, is this going to be it? Do you want to go downhill from here? Do you want to stay the same as you are now for the rest of your life? What's next? And it's really weird because I come a lot. I, I do motivational sessions with people that are 25 years old and they see the top of the world and they want to go there. So I wouldn't be a really good motivational coach to say like, okay, yeah, so I'm happy here. So that's it. Sorry. So I kind of feel like I owe it to them to keep having ambition, to keep continuing. But, and then I have to go back to my Ikigai and, and, and that's something that for me, if there's an opportunity, it's really quick because my shortly described my Ikigai is kind of more like, I want to help talent, talent develop itself. So I want to help talent develop its potential. For me, that's all, that's all I care about. I see talent, I want to help it bring it wherever the potential lies. And if I can help anyone with anything go from one place to another, and that, that for me, that gets me more, more excited than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't a position for myself or something that I can achieve myself that will give me the same pleasure as somebody that I enjoy working with, I look up to, I see talent in, and they achieve their goals. And then it becomes really difficult because then you get back to the external foundation, like, okay, but if I want to do something for myself, if I want to take the next step, where should I go? And for the past week, like I said, people are coming up to me and are not pressuring me, but challenging me to kind of take a, a different step, take a next step. And that's something during COVID I haven't had for quite a long time. In COVID, everybody was on the defense. Everybody was like in experiencing like all these changes and they were like, either they were not communicating anymore or they were stressed out. And I was like relatively navigating my way through it. Like, okay, well, this is just like any other crisis, which I've had in my past 10 years. And I will approach it the same way. I'm just going to make sure that I find opportunities and find solutions and we're back on track. And then now that kind of that, that, the COVID swear kind of it, it's gone. I'm like, okay, what's now? And in the past week, several people have challenged me, including today, somebody that I really look up to, like a world's renowned personal coach is like, listen, I have this program. Are you in, are you, are you out? And I was like, eh, I'm not sure. I'm kind of like in my comfort zone. And I was like, just read it. And then I read, I was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I want to do this. And then the spirit kind of comes, comes back. But this discussion for me is really interesting because it's been a kind of a while, even though I talk about Ikigai. Even though I always believe you should start with a why, I, I'm avoiding that. Mm -hmm. I'm avoiding that because 
then I have to ask myself the question. And I'm too scared that I'm going to say, yeah, but I'm happy where I am. Instead of saying like, hey, I owe it to other people to show where the opportunities are. And that's why I'm struggling as well. So I made a commitment, 10,000, getting 10,000 people to, to earn their first $10,000. And, but it's not that I'm being challenged yet. And that's just me putting it out. And all of a sudden there are people now challenging me to do that. And that's why I find it so interesting that even though I do a lot, the clear purpose of it, it always takes some time for me. And I've gotten patient to not worry about because other people are like, but I have to figure it out. I have to figure it out. I have to figure it out. And for me, it's that I've realized that you get the signs in your life. And the only thing you should do is like, when the sign is there, like, Hey, this is something that I need to know that you have to recognize it. So for me, this conversation is kind of like a sign, which is building up on the signs that I've had over the, over the past week. And that kind of makes me excited. So that's why you're, you're, because I'm processing this conversation and putting the feedback and I'm kind of connecting it to what has happened in the past, even 24, 28 hours, 48 hours right now. Mm -hmm. So Diego, that's, that's your answer. That's why my head is like spitting into overtime at the moment. It's very interesting. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I, but, uh, can I get back to Jean? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> okay. Go, go ahead. No, so, well, cause I was, as I was listening to you talk, I, I thought it was very interesting because you mentioned a couple of different things that you feel content with what you've achieved so far in your life and. I have to say, I recognize that. I also feel, feel that sense of contentment, but feeling like you're, you, you're, you're good and you're happy, um, with your life doesn't mean you can't stretch yourself. Being in your comfort zone doesn't mean you can't grow or like I heard someone describe it the other way, this way, the other day, which, which I thought was really nice. It, you can grow your comfort zone. And I, I encourage, especially introverts also not to force themselves out of their comfort zone, because what happens for, for introverts, a lot of the time when we force ourselves out of our comfort zone is we go against our natural process and we, it can be quite triggering some people black out or we are just flabbergasted. I've had moments that I just, something happens and I, I don't know what to say. And then I lay awake thinking about it for weeks, what I should have said. So all those things can happen when you're going against your natural flow and you, you force yourself out of your comfort zone. So I encourage people to stay in their comfort zone, but to stretch themselves in a safe way. And when you talked about motivation and then you said you, for you, it's external validation. Uh, and it's not internal. I was wondering, because when you talked about Ikigai, I could see that about your Ikigai, I could see that that was very much an internal driver for you. And that maybe in the day to day, what motivates you is from the outside. Like some people, I also know other people that they need accountability buddy or things like that to, to keep moving. They have ideas and they're like, yes, they're motivated to do it. But day to day, it's just the grind of things. If you sit next to me, I know I'll do it. And that's okay. I need multiple. That's the <laughs> fuck part. Because like I get used to one. So if I have like one accountability buddy, it, it wouldn't work a long time. And it it did help me because, and, and to be honest, I, I came a long way. I quickly want to jump into this. I had my first PA eight years ago. And it wasn't really a PA ship. It was more internship because I didn't have any work necessary. And I had to structure my own workflow before I could let PA back in. Because if you don't have that structured workflow and like the processes in place on how information comes in and how you act towards that information and how you plan everything. Like a lot of extroverts, especially 
they would love to have a PA handling all these things that they could just say, okay, fix that for me because I'm going to forget it. And also creating an, an environment where people are not like, for, they don't frown upon it. When you say like, okay, great, but can't you, can you make this an email? Because that my PA will deal with it because I get five to 10 apps a day like this. And I'm definitely going to forget that we, we uh, made this agreement. So to create that, that, that framework to make it possible that you allow somebody to take over your calendar and plan it in, because the first five times it's, it's going to go wrong. There, there's going to be a double booking. There's something you, you there's an appointment that you forgot to tell to the, to the assistant that you need to have done. All those kind of things were for me, like a very, very big learning process. And in that sense, I'm definitely not yet where I want to be, but I do feel like we've, I've, I've come a long way. And honestly, I have to say good, like be proud in that moment that you, you feel that sense of contentment. I think some people like search for that type of thing their, their whole lives and never get to that place. And I think it's a beautiful thing to, to be that centered and that grounded and still be open to new opportunities and new, new growth from within that place. So don't underestimate yeah. the power of that. Okay. Yeah. I've taken, I'm taking it for granted for sure. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's also, it's kind of hard to say, but it's kind of this feeling that, that I'm not allowed to yet. Mm -hmm. that's also, and that's also kind of like this external validation, like I'm selling other short saying like, this is the, this is kind of where I'm at. I'm content with this. I'm kind of selling other short who kind of, or like in my direct, in direct circle who still have the ambition to, to grow bigger. And I still have to find a way to allow them to continue to grow without them being like, and looking at me and saying like, okay, but he's not gonna. Does, level up like does that have to do with what you think they expect of you actually i don't ask that enough i do get it from some 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 people are quite open about it and others we don't even talk about it mm. and i think that's also because they're introverts so i'm actually the question i'm asking you like What's the best way to approach an introvert to get their opinion on something? <laughs> That's an excellent question. <laughs> Maybe Diego, uh, you probably already also have something to say about that. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't miss anything relevant because yeah. <laughs> my internet just went haywire. But uh, I, I did pick up some things at the end. Before I hand it over to Marielle, I, I just want to say, like, for me at least, sometimes you do need to get it out of them. And that is through follow-up question to follow-up question. Cause I oftentimes, especially when it gets too personal or too public, so to say, I, I, I tend to talk around the subject in a abstract or vague manner. And then I assume the other person is capable enough to interpret it in the right way, especially if it's not in a one-on-one -on -one setting, if, it, if there are more people, but I'm more comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And especially if it's to someone you're kind of closer with in that sense. So that, that's the way it would be for me. And I, I think we, we've had this every now and then, but maybe we should do it more in the beginning when we started this show, for example, social convos, we had the Saturday or Sunday dim sum sessions where we, we just talked, brainstormed, uh, where are we going with the show, etc. And we, we haven't had something like that in a while. So that I'd say would be a way to approach me personally, but that's just speaking for me. So Mariella, I, I'm not sure if I can speak to all introverts, but. I'd like to hear Maria. <laughs> yeah. So you already mentioned uh, a, a lot of things that I think many introverts will recognize. So to answer your question, Jean-Luc, and to build on what Diego said, 
So this is about uh, communication styles and introverts and extroverts have very different communication styles. For example, most extroverts, they form their thoughts while they speak. Whereas an introvert generally just collects information, goes away, thinks about it, and then formulates a plan. And usually when an introvert shares their plan, it's been really, really well thought out in their, in their mind. You know, they have, they've checked everything and they've decided this is the plan. And what will happen is because these styles are different, you have these misunderstandings because let's say an introvert comes with a well-formed plan. They've gotten a question, they've completely gutted it through, and this is a plan. And an extroverted person will then start asking a lot of questions and bombarded and be like, oh, this is crap for this and this and this reason. Shock, right? Because I, I've really put my heart and soul into this. And this person is thinking, oh, I'm showing interest. You're not saying anything back. <laughs> and here's their shutdown. So th this is where a lot of these misunderstandings happen, just because the style is very different. Introverts, we express ourselves very carefully. You might want to consider this. An extroverted person will say, this is what we're going to do. Sorry for the slap in the mic. And when an introverted person says, this is what we're going to do, or when they see an extroverted person say that, they assume that everything has been thought out and that it has been double-checked. But this the extroverted person is just formulating their first thoughts. So if you understand that in each other, that can already give you a lot of information of in how to open the conversation. So if you want to approach an introverted person and make it safe for them also to share, first of all, what Diego mentioned, do it in a one-to-one -one setting. That is the, the most comfortable setting for an introvert to open up because we like dialogue. We don't like discussions per se. <laughs> a discussion implies sometimes it can get quite heated and it kind of implies that there's a winner and a loser. Whereas most introverts, we tend to want to come to a solution together. So it's more of a dialogue. And when it's one-to-one, -one, we can create space for each other and we don't have to keep an eye on all the other people that are around and what they might be thinking or wanting and bring into the conversation. It's, it's just a lot of stimulate to process. The other thing is to, it would, I think it would help the voice that this is the first ideas that you just want to, want to talk through or brainstorm. I wouldn't say like change your style to match the other person because you have to do what feels natural to, to you. So. An introvert should, like, if you go into that conversation, know that an extroverted person will be much more, will voice things much more factual and, and direct and vice versa as an extroverted person, know that the introverted person will probably voice things a little bit more careful. But the best question you can ask is what exactly do you mean by that from both sides? If you feel that you want something isn't quite going well, or you see the reaction in the other person like Diego just did. He saw a reaction in you, Jean-Luc, and he asked, hey, what's going on there? I think that's the best question that you can, and vice versa as well. And that gets to a point of clarity. What you Oh, we're going to <laughs> <laughs> Nice one. <laughs> to, close, to close off this therapy session. <laughs> so, uh, there's still some time in life to do some over-unders as we are, overrated, underrated. This is kind of a segment that Diego and I do every time. And I can look at his eyes and see that we aren't as well prepared this week as we were in other weeks. But we always give a couple of questions to you. And basically these are just, could be something or could be a statement, it could be something in life. And we will ask you whether or not you think it's overrated or it's underrated. Of course, you can also say pro properly rated. And so let's really start off with something quite easy. And that would... Hold on, hold on. Just so I understand. So we're going to say something. Just so I understand the rule. We're going to give you something. I don't have, I, I don't elaborate. If you right? want to elaborate. This is a quick You want to elaborate. If you don't want to elaborate, you don't have to elaborate. If you want to elaborate, you cannot. I, I don't want to 
I don't want to keep you guys forever. I mean, I love, I love talking <laughs> to you guys, but at some point, no, 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 no. It's, so I will try. No, I'll you can elaborate on it. Like, it. It won't be like you have to elaborate on everything for 10 minutes. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's somewhat a surprising yeah. answer, we will ask okay. you to elaborate, but. Then I'll leave it to you to guide that. <laughs> okay, go on. Yeah. All right. Joanna, sure. uh, can you Medical science, overrated or underrated? I did not expect that. <laughs> uh, underrated. All right. Because you're a scientist, probably. I'm a bit biased. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On the personal side, patients, mm -hmm. overrated or Very underrated? much underrated. Okay. Remote work. Uh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a toughie. I think that really depends on the person. For me personally, it is underrated. Audiobooks, overrated or underrated? I've been thinking about that a lot. Again, for me personally, overrated. Just out of curiosity, how do you consume uh, the best? Is it just reading, the physical, or through a tablet or something? If it's really a book that I want to dive in for work, I, I like to have it physical. Novels I can read any any in any way. If it's master classes and things like that, I like audio. But for books, I've tried Audible and Blinkist. And I just mm. I feel like it doesn't get me to the essence of what I want from from a book. So Yeah. That's a nice distinction. Curveful I chew. That's the final one. National identity, overrated or underrated? <laughs> oh, you're going to put me on the spot. National identity. I will controversially say overrated. I don't feel it's a, that controversial anymore. Okay, good. <laughs> Okay, and to go full circle and a bit meta, podcasts, overrated or underrated? Well, I'm not going to censor myself because you guys run a podcast, but I do feel that podcasts are, are underrated because there is so much more that can be done with podcasts, but a lot of them are just not very good. <laughs> So that's why people may feel that it's a bit overrated. I think it's still, there's still a lot of potential and that's why I say underrated. Do you feel like what would have, what would help the quality of a podcast grow? About a podcast? No, 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 just, just no, like what, what, what aspects, like if you listen, because that's also the discussion, why you listen to audio and why you listen to book form, like. Yeah. What's a what, good, what, good podcast for you? Like, what would be the ingredients? As, as, and now we're just asking you as a consumer, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I listen to a lot of different types of podcasts. Most of them are in my, in my work area. So then you kind of know the types of things that I listen to, entrepreneurial, et cetera. I really love the type of podcasts that, that do show the journey that someone has taken and that you, you get mostly right now I'm interested in mindset. So I listen to a lot of podcasts around that, but I like it when I find something I wasn't expecting. So it is a, a bit of a vague description, I'm sure for you guys. And I think it also depends on the stage that you're in, in your life. Quality wise, it's about, for me, it's about really asking questions other people aren't willing to ask or are afraid to ask and having people that are willing to answer them. That's when I get the most out of it. All these taboo subjects that we usually shy away from, the people who talk about those things in a constructive way, that's when I learn the most. And I guess that's why Joe Rogan's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it has now. It also has uh, a, but uh, it also has more of a, an interest and hype. 
Taylor owned it. Yeah. 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 Just because of the personality it is. But to close this off, Mariela, first of all, we appreciate you coming here on with us, having this conversation. Free consultation. Therapy session. And yeah, to close it off, uh, two questions. First one, quick one. When can we expect a non-academic book from you? And what can people expect from you in the short term? And how do they reach out? <laughs> so a book is not in my immediate goal list right now. I'm still developing a lot of things. So I'm not writing a book, but I am writing a lot of programs, a lot of trainings and courses and masterclasses. So that's more in the short term. I'm doing a monthly masterclass this year. I've just I just decided I'm going to do that every month. There's another one. I, just, I told you guys about the one I did last month and uh, people can find me easiest way to get to know me and to know if what I do resonates with you is to sign up for my newsletter and they can find that on my website. That's www.thefrankermessage.com. And I also have information about the masterclass there. I do have to ask we'll link that as well. And can you. And this is a free plug, Mariela. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the Franker message? <laughs> so, sure. So I got lucky with my last name there. My last name is Franker. And if you probably notice, it's a play on words. So Franker also means to be frank, to be open. And the Franker message, I got that domain name when I still just wanted to write. So that was the name I chose to just write about anything that interests me. And now I also find that it is quite fitting with work that I do now because I help people to open up and lean into the way that they naturally are to just be themselves a bit more. And I do that specifically for introverts and it's a German name. <laughs> so that's a bit of a complicated history that from, from Europe to Suriname and now I'm back in Europe. So it has a lot of layers for me that I feel just just bring everything that I am together in my work and also my personal life. That's one of those moments where ser serendipity works as its best. Uh, and it's always amazing to see how that kind of worked out. Giano mentions amazing sessions. There's so much more to discuss here. I definitely agree. I think we did even go through half the topics we, we listed and we did even list them, but it, it was amazing. Nonetheless, appreciate everything for the people who tuned in. Thanks for tuning in live. If you've missed it, always the recordings will be published on the weekends and John, look, you'll be traveling on Saturday. So what's the plan for next the week? The plan is for next and week. Then is, close I'm talk. working next week and I want to clarify that I'm actually working and it's one of the few times that I don't control my own schedule because I'm part of the volunteer team for the social media marketing world. So depending on when I get my time off, we are going to schedule next week's session. We're also going to see with our guests if that works. If not, we're going to do a special social media marketing world session. If it works out, we will have a regular guest. And for now, we're going to have to wait the announcement for at least until Sunday, because Sunday I can finally decide what the, the, what the appropriate time will be for uh, next week's session. But both normal time slots, the 4 p.m. and the 9 p.m. Suriname time time slot are Kind of for me, I won't be able to make them work because I am on duty on a shift. So hopefully I will be able to get back to you on that by Sunday. Awesome. Thanks Thank you. Thank you, Mariela. It was And we look forward to another free session three months from now. This was Social Conference. We will be back here next week. See you. Bye-bye.